Well, my name is uh, Randy Madison. I'm the interim uh, executive pastor here at Carnegie Free, and I'm living proof that every person does matter. You all have been so welcoming to my wife and me since we arrived here about five months ago, and uh, we've thoroughly enjoyed our time here. We just thank you for all the love you've shown us, and uh, I just applaud you for uh, the fact that people really do matter here at Kearney Evangelical Free Church. Uh, we've felt that personally. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about the top ten. And for those of you who may be uh, visiting with us for the first time, maybe you're a guest here today, or you haven't been here for a while, just a reminder that we're in the midst of a series uh, this year called God's Story, Our Story, and we're making our journey all the way through the Bible together. And this morning, we're at stop number nine in the journey, and we're going to be talking about the Ten Commandments. Now, let me just ask you a question as we get started here today. What do you think of when I say the top ten? Well, if you're a basketball junkie, you're probably thinking about March Madness and you're focused on the top ten basketball teams in the nation right now. If you're still stuck in uh, football season, or maybe you're thinking about next football season with our brand new coach here in Nebraska, and we're hoping we're going to be in the, the top ten, you're thinking about the top ten football teams. Some of you are into the Olympics, you watch that, so you're focused on the gold medal account, you know, who the top 10 countries were, the top 10 music chart, we can go on and on, the top 10 movies, uh, for business people it's the top 10 investors, but we're a top 10 culture, aren't we? We like to be in the top 10, especially if you're competitive, you want to end up in the top 10 someplace, but when we come to God's top 10, it's interesting to me that in our culture today, we know very little about the Ten Commandments, the top ten. In fact, it's interesting, there was a study done about ten years ago. They were coming, up with, coming out with an animated version of the Ten Commandments, and so they went out on the streets and they did this little survey to find out what people knew about the Ten Commandments. And they discovered that 80% of the people, 8 out of 10 people who were interviewed, knew that the Big Mac, America's favorite hamburger, right? America's favorite, is that right? Has two meat patties on it. 6 out of 10 people knew that it had pickles on it. But less than 1, or pardon me, less than 50%, less than 5 out of 10 people could name even 7 of the Ten Commandments. They took the survey a little further out on the streets and they talked to some other people. And they found out that most people who were interviewed could tell you the names of all four people that were in the Beatles rock band. But some people couldn't even name one of the Ten Commandments. That's our situation today. When was the last time you heard a sermon on the Ten Commandments? Or a sermon series? Well, here they are. Here they are up, for, up here for you. Let's look at them just briefly now as we begin to talk about them today. You should have no other gods before me. No carved images. No images. That's belittling to God because He's so great. You shouldn't take His name in vain. You should remember the Sabbath. Boy, that's a forgotten commandment, isn't it? The rhythm of Sabbath in our lives today. 
Well, there's no place for that one. We're too busy for that. Honor your father and mother. You shouldn't murder. You shouldn't steal or commit adultery, bear false witness or covet. They're listed here for us this morning. And as we look at these on the screen now, I have just two questions I want to ask and try to answer today as we look at these. Number one, why? Why did God give us the Ten Commandments? I mean, after all, if you read the story and if you listen to Pastor Adrian last week, this, these commandments were not given like just any other book. These words of the covenant came with fire and with smoke and with thunder. I mean, it was quite a scene. And God has preserved them all of these years for us. We have them today. We're reading them this morning. So why did God give them to Israel and why do we have them today? And then my second question this morning as we wrap up is what? If you could summarize the main message of these ten, what would it be if somebody asked you? So, why do we have them? Well, I can think of four big reasons why God gave us the top ten. Now, maybe you can think of some other reasons this morning that I haven't thought of, but as I was reflecting on it and praying about it this last week, and I got the help of some other people, these are four that I came up with. Number one, they're here to remind us of God's righteousness or His radiant beauty of who God is. And the second reason we have the top ten is to remind us of God's redemption in our lives. It's going to be important that we look at the setting and the context of the giving of these ten rules for living that God gave the children of Israel. Because it's really all about redemption and salvation. And then these commandments, the third reason, they're a roadmap for right living. They're, 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 they're for our benefit, for our well-being. And then the fourth reason is that they remind us of our need for God's forgiveness and God's grace in our lives. Reason number one, they remind us of who God is in all of His radiant beauty and righteousness. Several years ago, Elizabeth and I were in the Omaha airport, and I looked up. We were getting ready to get on an airplane, and there was Art Linkletter standing in front of me. How many of you remember who Art Linkletter is? few people. Art Linkletter would be like the Ryan Seacrest of our generation, okay? Older guy, he's there, this talk show host, and there he is, a very famous person. He was in his 80s at that point, and so we were having this conversation. I wish I'd gotten his autograph. Remember a story of Art Linkletter one time? He was walking by a little boy, and the little guy was drawing a picture, and so Art Linkletter stopped, and he asked him, he said, what are you drawing? And he said, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And Art Linkletter stood there for a moment, and he, he said to the little fellow, he said, well, you know, nobody really knows what God looks like. And the little guy thought about it for a minute and he said, well, they will when I get through. <laughs> you probably heard that story, and we laugh at it, but nothing could be further from the truth because nobody really knows what God looks like. In all of His glory in all of his majesty, in all of his righteousness, 
Now, Jesus showed us what the Father looks like, and he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we've got a glimpse of the Father if, if, if you know Jesus and all of his beauty, and you, you think about Jesus Christ, but think about it for a minute. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing, and we really can't even touch his power and his all-knowingness. God is infinite. We're finite, right? There's a limit to us. He's limitless. I'm limited. God is the creator, and we're the creatures. He's the potter, I'm the clay. That's what Jeremiah 18 says. I'm just a clay pot. He's the one that made me. The great theologian Karl Barr said that God is holy other. We're just full of holes. God is righteous. Isaiah chapter 64 says that our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to him. Is it any wonder that Moses, when he walked up to that burning bush, and we heard the story last week when Adrian was telling us about it, is it any wonder that he walked up that burning bush and he took his shoes off? Can you imagine that moment? What it must have been like? I mean, and the fear described here? Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20 and look at verses 18 through 21 for just a moment. And notice the story as is described here after the Ten Commandments are given. The Bible tells us, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. There's a reason they were standing far off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen. But don't let God speak to us or we'll die. And Moses said to the people, don't fear for God has come to you to test you. And he goes on to describe the situation. And verse 21 says, the people stood, and it's repeated a second time, far off. While Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. You see, we really don't know God fully. We haven't seen him. And so the Ten Commandments really remind us of who God is and all of his majesty. Adrian uses the word radiant beauty. I like that word. That's a great way to describe God. and His radiant beauty, we, we, we really can't even conceive of it. And so each one of the commandments is really a, a connected to an attribute of his character or his nature. Think about them. You should have no other gods before me. In Exodus chapter 3, we read that he is the great I am. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. He's the great I am. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our taking our sandals off and, and falling on our face before him. He's the great I am. And so you should have no other gods before me. That's the reason for Sabbath, for taking a break, hitting the pause button in your life. Commandment number four, to stop and remember who he is. You see, we're so busy 
in our high-tech, modern-day world that, you know, my phone's always going off. I don't even have time to think, much less think about who God is. And so we're told that God, we know God loves people and He respects people, and so we shouldn't murder. And He's the covenant-making God, the faithful God, the loyal God, and so... We shouldn't be unfaithful to our wife. We shouldn't, or our husband, we shouldn't commit adultery. And, and he respects people. God is fair. God is just. He respects people. And so we shouldn't steal from people. And we, sh we shouldn't bear false witness. Because all of these commandments are a reflection of his radiant beauty. And when we begin to live some of these out by the grace of God and and people see a little bit of God in us, then they begin to develop a picture of what Jesus is like and what God is really like. It's a, it's a witness to the people around us. And you know, one of the great tragedies of our, our, our modern day is that there are a lot of people that make the scene at church and they, they say that they follow Jesus, but guess what? We don't really live like Jesus, do we? And so many times, people see the antithesis of God in our lives. And then we wonder why they don't want to be Christians. And so it's important, these Ten Commandments. It's a little bit like our church here. We've got a set of core values, don't we? I've learned that our staff, our pastors and our directors, our staff team has a set of core values we value integrity, we value growth, we value several things. But those core values are worth nothing more than the paper they're written on if we don't live them out, right? The Ten Commandments are like the core values of authentic Christianity. And then there's a second reason the Ten Commandments are given to us. They remind us of what God has done. He's redeemed us. Look at Exodus chapter 20, if you've got your Bible open or if you've got it on your phone, however you get your, the Scripture. Uh, go there and look at verse 2 in Exodus 20. And then keep your finger there and just flip over a few pages if you've got a hardcover paper Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 6. And notice that it's said the same way in both of these verses. This is the context or the setting for the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God. God tells us, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And that's the preamble. This is the setting, the context. This is the lead-in to the Ten Commandments that He had redeemed Israel, that He'd saved them, that He'd rescued them from the land of Egypt out of slavery. Now turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and look at verses 7 through 9. There in Deuteronomy 7 for just a moment. The Bible says here in verse, beginning in verse 6, For you are the, a people, a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people of His treasured possession. That's who we are. Out of all of the peoples who are on the face of the earth, this was who the nation of Israel was. This is who God calls us to be. It was not because you were more in number than any other people 
that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. It was none of our achievement or our doing that God chose us. For you were the fewest of all peoples or the least of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out of the mighty, out of, with, with a mighty hand and here's the word, redeemed you from the house of slavery. The Ten Commandments remind us of God's saving, redeeming, grace, gracious love in our lives. And that was the context of this covenant that he gave the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Reminds me of a story of a little boy who was always wanting to be chosen to be on the neighborhood baseball team. And he was always chosen last because he wasn't much of a baseball player. And then one day, a couple of guys came to join the team, and they were choosing up the team that day, and he was chosen first, and he couldn't believe it. He was on the team and chosen first, but he wasn't chosen first because of his ability. He was chosen first because it was his brother that chose him, and his brother loved him, and so he chose him to be on the baseball team. And that's, I think, a wonderful analogy or illustration of God's heart for you and me. He chooses us because he loves us. It's John 3.16. We've all heard it. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son. I would ask you this morning, have you accepted God's invitation to be on his salvation team? Have you given your life, your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ? It's one thing to come to a church service and we hear Pastor Adrian almost up here almost every week. He, he gives us great sermons. It's, but it's one thing to hear a sermon. It's another thing to give your heart and life to God and to take Jesus Christ as your Savior and to, be on his, and to say, I want to be on your team. He wants you on his team. Do you, have you ever said, yes, I want to be on your team? He loves you. He wants to redeem you. And if you're in Christ this morning, you've tasted of that redemption. You know what I'm describing and what I'm trying to talk about. I had an Old Testament professor at Wheaton College, Dr. Samuel Schultz, who used to describe the book of Deuteronomy, which is simply the, the repetition of the law or the repeating of the commandments. He said that the book of Deuteronomy is really the gospel of, of John, the gospel of John of the Old Testament. It's the story of God's love relationship with his people. And the Ten Commandments is a covenant, a love covenant that he gives to his people. And he wants them to follow it as they demonstrate and they prove their love for him. That's the Ten Commandments. Now the third reason we have the commandments is because it's a roadmap for right living. Think about it for just a moment. Siri will let you down. Take my word for it. You think that it's always 100%, but we lived in New York for a couple of years on all of those windy roads, and we ended up in some places that Siri got it wrong. Your Garmin will let you down. Your 
roadmap book will let you down. It will get tattered. It will have smudges on it someday. And, or you'll, you'll spill something on it and you can't read it. But the Ten Commandments are crystal clear. They're a roadmap for right living. You can depend on them. They're a pathway toward peace and joy and meaning and purpose. A lot of people think that God gave us the Ten Commandments to make us miserable. Nothing could be further from the truth. Think about it for a moment. You buy a new car. What do you do? You get in that new car, you drive it home, you're proud of it. And you drive it into the driveway, and the first thing you do is you reach into the glove box or the glove compartment, and you reach and you get the operations manual, and you just go and you throw it in the trash, right? Is that the first thing you do? Well, absolutely not. You don't throw the operations manual in the trash because you assume that the manufacturers, the makers of that car, knew how the car ran. And if you follow the operations manual, then you stay out of trouble and you change the oil and you do the things you're supposed to. You change the air filter and, and the car runs more smoothly. It runs better. This book is our operations manual. And the Ten Commandments are our rules for living. And if we follow them, God made us. He knows how we operate best. Then life will be much less filled with trouble, much more trouble-free. It'll run smoother. Things will go better. Now, we live in a culture, unfortunately, which has thrown away the operations manual, right? We've done away with the rule book. In fact, I think we've exchanged the top ten for what I would call the modern three. And you know what the modern three is in our culture today? The modern three are relativism, tolerance, and sincerity. Let me explain that. Relativism. One of the highest core values in our culture today is there are no absolutes. What's good for you is good for you, and what's good for me is good for me, and I won't bother you if you won't bother me. The important thing is that you're sincere about it, and that's one of the, the modern three. It really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere and you have passion for what you believe. That's the important thing is sincerity, right? And then the, the third core value, I think, of our culture today is that we should always allow others to live by their values and convictions. I just explained that. That's called tolerance. Relativism, tolerance, and sincerity. And it goes something like this, the theme line. I typed it out, see if this sounds accurate to you. What you believe is right for you, and everyone should give you the freedom to believe and live the way you want, with no interference, as long as you sincerely believe it. And what I believe is right for me, and everyone should give me freedom to believe what I believe, and live the way I want, with no interference, as long as I sincerely believe it. The modern three. And so there's no longer any agreed-on rule book or operations manual. And, and we're told that this is so restrictive. I mean, you really believe that? You really believe that? I mean, if, if you follow that, 
you'll be miserable, we're told. I mean, life will be, you'll be in bondage. That's so narrow. How can you tell me that that's true? And in reality, it's just the opposite, isn't it? You follow the rule book, and instead of bondage, it leads you to freedom and joy because you're, 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 you're living by the operations manual that, that God, who made us, gave us. And he knows how we operate best. Imagine March Madness, which is just around the corner. Can you imagine making the, the, the 64 or the Sweet 16 or the Elite 8 or whatever it is, and you, you go out on the basketball court, and all of a sudden you decide you're going to play by your own rules. And so every basketball player out there on the basketball court is playing basketball, but they're going to play basketball by their own rules with no referees. What would that... What would that lead to? It would cause chaos and confusion. And it would lead to a mess. And we wonder why we're in a mess in our culture and our world today and why things seem to be just falling apart. Or foot, uh, the football stadium is another example. You're in Lincoln and Memorial Stadium and you go down the tunnel, you run out on the field, and all of a sudden all the football players decide, well, today we're going to play football, but we're going to play football by my rules. And we're not going to have any refs. It's going to be my rule book, and it can be your rule book. And Well, you couldn't play football that way. You couldn't have a game. Reminds me of a true, and I'm told it, it, it's humorous at, at one level, but a true story of J.P. Moreland, who was having a conversation with students at the University of Vermont several years ago, and he was in this dialogue, this discussion with one of the students in the dormitory, and the student turned to him, and this is what he said. He said, whatever is true for you is true for you, and whatever is true for me is true for me. If something works for you because you believe it, well, that's great. But no one should force his or her views on other people since everything is relative. This is what this student was saying. And Moreland left the room, and as he was leaving the room, he unplugged the student's stereo and started out the door with his stereo. And the student protested. He said, hey, what are you doing? You can't take my stereo. You can't do that. And Moreland turned to him, and he said, you're not going to force on me the belief that it's wrong to steal your stereo, are you? And then he went on to make his point to the student. He said, when it's convenient, people say they don't care about sexual immorality or cheating on exams, but they become moral absolutists in a hurry when someone steals their things or violates their rights, and that's, that is, they are selective moral relativists. And I think that's true for all of it, isn't it? And interestingly enough, this student, as a result of this discussion, went on a short time later, to give their heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ, which led this particular author to say that he had a new evangelistic method called stealing stereos for Jesus. <laughs> but it's so true, isn't it? That's where we are today. And the commandments are a pathway for right living. Go home today... And I hope you've written down some of the scripture on the screen or you're following it on your, your insert. And look up some of these Bible verses because over and over and over again, the phrase is used, 
so that it will go well with you. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 33. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 3. Jesus in John 15 says, I've spoken these commands to you. I've given you these commands. You know why? So that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. First John tells us that his commands are not burdensome. And so it's really just the opposite. God gave them to us so that it would go well with us if we're willing to live by the, the, the operations manual and follow the rules. Now, another reason, and the final reason, I think, why the commandments are given to us is they remind us of our need for God's grace and forgiveness. Are you like me? I haven't lived up to the Ten Commandments perfectly. In fact, that's, that's an understatement. I have fallen so short of the Ten Commandments. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you the truth. And especially when you look at the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, you know what that is? That's really just Jesus unpacking the Ten Commandments for us. If you read the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount... He takes it a step further and he takes the commandments beyond just outward actions to inward attitudes. I mean, yeah, maybe I haven't killed anybody today, but have I hated somebody? Or maybe I didn't steal from them, but what did I do? And so he takes it to a deeper level, to a heart level, and we've all fallen short. And so the commandments at the end of the day are really given to us to remind us of our need. Our need for God's grace and His forgiveness in our lives. I need that. I'm assuming you need that as, as well this morning. And so one of the greatest misunderstandings in the world is this belief that somehow the Ten Commandments is given to us is kind of for, for a checklist. And if I can just check them off. And if I can just live up to them a little bit better, then somehow I will find my way into heaven or eternity. They were never meant for that. They were never given to us as a checklist to live up to so that somehow if we live close enough to them, we could somehow be in heaven and live eternally. That wasn't the purpose of the commandments. Listen to Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Paul tells us very clearly what the purpose of the law and the commandments is. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Why? Why does he say that? Because none of us have lived up to the law. And nobody can. The commandments show us our inability. And then he concludes by saying, rather through the law, we become conscious of sin. Our failures, our inability to do it. 
Galatians 3.24 says the same thing in different words. So the law was put in charge. It's like a tutor, like a guardian, like a teacher, an instructor to us. To lead us to Christ, the Bible says, that we might be justified by faith. By grace alone through faith alone. And so the law in the Old Testament was given to point us to our need for God's forgiveness and saving grace. It shows us our sin and it points us to the Savior, to the cross. The commandments point us to the cross at the end of the day. Just think about the children of Israel in the Old Testament just real quickly here. How long did it take them to blow it after they got the Ten Commandments? You remember Adrian was talking about it last week. If you read Exodus 25 through 32, you remember the story of the golden calf? Forty days. Forty days and they'd made a mess of it. And guess what? We're no different than they are. We blow it. We need His forgiveness. We need His grace in our lives. And so, what is the message? If you were out on the streets of Kearney tomorrow, and somebody walked up to you and said, well, what are the Ten Commandments all about anyway then? You've told me why, why He gave them to you. What is the main message of the Ten Commandments? What would you tell them? How would you answer their question as we wrap this up? Just very quickly, I would summarize the Ten Commandments in this way. If I could distill them to the central theme, to the apex of the core message of, of what they are telling us, I would summarize them, up, summarize them with the word love. Love. L-O-V-E. You're scratching your head thinking, now wait a minute. I thought the Ten Commandments was all about law. Well, turn to Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. And notice what Jesus said. Remember that guy that was trying to test him and stump him and trick him? Came up to him and said, what's the greatest commandment? This is how Jesus answered. In Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 37, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And then he said the second one is likened to it. It's like it. And that is love your neighbor as yourself. And then he concluded with this statement. And you might want to underline this in your Bible if you've got it open. All of the law, all of the law, and all of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Do you know there's 613 commandments in the Old Testament? Count them up. 613 of them. And you can reduce the 613 to the top 10. And then Jesus reduced the top 10 to the big two. And the big two can be summarized with the word love. The Ten Commandments at the end of the day are a guide for us to love God more fully. Commandments 1 through 4. They're, they're, they're all about our vertical relationship with God. And then the last six commandments are all about the horizontal relationship, our relationship with people, loving our neighbor as ourselves. 
And so if I love my neighbor, I don't lie to him. I don't steal from him. I, I, don't, I don't hate him. And at the end of the day, the commandments point us to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which leads me to this story which will lead us to communion. Many, many years ago when Lloyd C. Douglas, the author of The Robe and many other books, was a university student. He was li living in an apartment flat upstairs above a, an elderly gentleman who was in a wheelchair. And he, had, he and this elderly gentleman developed a routine. He would come bounding down the apartment steps in, in the morning and he'd poke his head through the door and this older man would look at him and he was sitting in a wheelchair and he'd take his tuning fork and he'd hit it on the edge of the wheelchair and he'd go bong. And Lloyd C. Douglas would say, well, what's the good news today? And he'd say, he'd hit it and he'd say, bong. And he said, that's middle C. He said, the, the guy upstairs, he sings flat and the piano is out of tune, but bong, that's middle C. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the cross is middle C. Jesus Christ hanging on that cross is middle C. And no matter what's going on in your life, you can count on Him because He died for you. He died for you. And He wants to have a personal relationship with you. And that's the meaning of this table this morning. It symbolizes the cross of Christ and His death for you and me. Would you bow your head with me? Lord, now as we prepare to celebrate remembering Your death on the cross, which the commandments point us to, Lord, as we just sit here quietly and get ready to take the bread and then the cup, and Lord, anybody who's a believer, who's a follower of yours, if they've invited them into your, if they've invited you into their life, then they're welcome around this table this morning. This table is open to anyone and everyone that's given their life to Christ. Lord, may we use this moment now as these elements are distributed to just reflect on the cross and what you mean to each of us. And Lord, maybe we need to come back to you today. Maybe we just need to re-surrender or confess something. What a great moment to do it this morning, Lord, as we draw near to you in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please hold the emblems until everyone is served and then we'll take together as a symbol of our unity in Christ.